Top of the morning to you. How's it going? Now, somebody told me that there was a bunch of guys called the Packers playing today. Is that right? <laughs> Given by this, the size of this crowd, I'd, I'm, I'm surprised. I mean, good on you for turning up. Today, we're probably we're going to be going through the book of Leviticus, so you might not make kickoff. I jest, I jest. Um, it's an honor, a privilege, and a great pleasure to be here. We landed at 6 p.m., not last Friday, but the Friday before, and we made a beeline for Culver's, because <laughs> that's the tradition. The first meal I always have, we go to Culver's, and I have that butter burger, and I have that shake that you trying to move the spoon and it's like, and then they give you a straw. It's like, oh my goodness, you know. It's like trying to suck a golf ball through a garden hose. It's impossible. <laughs> but I mean, America, America blows my mind because it's so big. And there's so much choice when it comes to stuff. We, uh, another staple in my, in my trips here are breakfasts at the machine shed. Who knows the machine shed? Go Shedders. <laughs> if they were an NFL, an NFL team, I'd get behind them. Um, so we, we go to the machine shed, and I always schedule my breakfasts there. You know, oh, I have a business meeting in the machine shed, don't you know? So we go to the machine shed, I sit down, and they come out, and they go, so what are you having? And I'm having, like, the cattle herder or the rancher's breakfast, basically the one with the most pig in it. <laughs> Sorry if I've offended you vegetarians, but c'est la vie. So I go in and I order this breakfast, and the girl comes out and she goes, okay, so you want that, do you want biscuits or do you want pancakes? I love pancakes. Which kind of pancakes would you like? Would you like blueberry, would you like chocolate chip, would you like pancakes? I love regular pancakes, that's good. I'm waiting to get back to my conversation, and then she says to me, and what kind of toast, would you like toast? I would love some toast, thank you. What kind of toast would you like? Would you like rye, would you like white, would you like brown, would you like non-gluten, would you like non-GMO? I'm like, just stick, stick it into a, a toaster, burn it, bring it out, it's fine. Would you like eggs? I mean, who doesn't love eggs? I'm like, of course I'll have eggs. How do you want them cooked? Do you want them fried? Do you want them scrambled? Do you want them poached? I'm like, just bring me an egg from a chicken. I'm good. Half an hour later, of course, everybody who's from America goes, I'll have this, this, with this, this, hold this, keep this, boom, job done. So it's been an experience here, but this is like my fourth time back in Appleton, and I, I really love it here because I feel like the heart of the people is like where I grew up in Ireland. People are very neighborly, they're very friendly. There's just a real sense of community and kind of laid-backness that I, I appreciate. So thank you for welcoming us uh, the way you do. So I grew up in rural Ireland in a place called County Offaly, which is in the Republic, and it's right in the middle. And I guess the equivalent would be, I don't know, Nebraska here. It's like kind of isolated, and I don't mean to offend any of you Nebraskans, if you're here, there's probably a good reason why you left, but, you know. <laughs> where I was growing up, the saying was that the only good thing in the village where I lived was the road out of there. And it was at the age of 21 that I decided, I'm out of here, you know. I, I had grown up in a Catholic church, and we were, we were told by our parents that you have to go until you're 14. When you're 14, you can choose whether you want to stay or go. I got to 14, I discovered rock and roll, I was like, I'm out here. 
Got into a band, started drinking alcohol, thought I was living the life. Like I said, at 21, I went to Australia. I lived there for a year, and I was partying all the time. I was smoking dope. I was drinking beer. I was going to clubs that I should not have been going to. I would come back, sleep three hours, and then go in and do my job. I was working as a, a printer at the time. And after there, I, kind of, I went back to Ireland, and I expected because I changed that the people there would have changed. But I'm not kidding. The last drink I had in the last bar in Ireland before I left, a year later I went back, and there was the same two guys having the same conversation. And I'm like, oh, heavens above, what have I done? So I skipped from there over to London, which was a bit closer, and I started to work in a bar. When you're an alcoholic and you work in a bar, it's kind of like having the golden goose. You just sneak a beer here, sneak a beer there. And I was controlling it for a while until I, until I wasn't. And then we started to get into other things. Started getting into doing cocaine, ecstasy, LSD, smoking crack. And it, was, it, was, it was our control before I even knew what was happening. It just, it just grabbed hold of me and like, it was relentless. I met a, a woman, a French woman in, in London. We got married pretty quickly, had two kids, and she lived in the suburbs of Paris. And we were just getting tired of it. I was getting tired of the addiction. I was, in, I was tired of doing alcohol recovery programs and them not working. I was tired of being held captive or prisoner by this inanimate object. Like, it's just, it's just a bottle of beer. It's just, it just sits there with condensation going down the side. Why is this thing controlling me? And I felt broken and I felt useless. So we moved to, we moved to France. Now, when I was in London, I had a really cool pub. I was friends with the guys from Coldplay, U2, knew all these actors and rock stars. Tons of money, on paper, perfect life. So I move over thinking I'm going to leave the addiction behind, but wherever you go, there you are. Didn't know the language, didn't know the culture, didn't know anybody. So what was the answer? Booze. And spiral. Just like out of control, into a spiral. My marriage was falling apart. We got divorced. My daughter was diagnosed at the age of two with autism. And I was crushed. I thought, you know, just life is just not going well for me. And one day, it was, it was in August of 2010, it was my daughter's third birthday, and I drank like a half a bottle of whiskey, made a fool of myself, it was an embarrassment to my family, and we were driving home, my wife was giving me grief for the way I'd acted, we were still married, we got divorced just after, but she was giving me grief for the way I'd acted, and I thought, I know what I'm going to do. I've, I found the answer. It was like a light went on. And I said, I'm going to kill myself. Because if I stay alive, it, it can't get any worse than this. Like, it really can't. But if I kill myself, the pain will end. And that was the bargain I was make, making with myself on that drive home. We got home. I went into the basement, pulled out a rope, stuck it into the back of my running shorts because I was, I was running from time to time. And was ready to head up to the forest and commit suicide. I see my son in the hallway and I embrace him. I get down on my knees and I embrace him because I knew that this was the last time that I would ever see him. 
and that just, that just crushed me, but I thought, I can't be in more pain than I already am. Maybe he'll get over it. Maybe, so, maybe somebody will come into his life who can father him the way he deserves, because he needed a father. I knew what it was like to grow up with an alcoholic father, and I did not want him to have the same. So I left, went up to the forest, I hook up the rope, I sit up on a branch, I put the noose around my neck, and I'm like, here we go. And I'm just about to plunge into darkness, and this voice, like a velvet whisper, says to me, no, this is not the path for you. This is not the way. I'm like, holy crap, who is that? Didn't say crap, by the way. You can, you can get creative with what language I use, but it was not for children's ears, shall we say. And in that moment, I had, a, I had this flash. And I saw from my perspective on the tree, and I saw this woman, and she had a dog. And she was looking up at me, and I saw the horrified look on her face, because she was the person that found me. I then saw this vision of my son walking past like a, a, a mantle in, in, in a house, and my picture was there in a frame. And he was looking at that picture, wondering why his dad didn't stick around. And I was so shocked that, I mean, I, I was almost sober instantaneously. I went back home. Things were still a bit rough. Still kept drinking until a few months after, on December, in December, on December 12th, I drank 32 pints of beer in a day. And I don't know how you all do with the ounces and stuff, but 32 pints in a metric system, that's a lot of beer. That's a lot of beer. And I woke up, my wife was traveling, and I was dying when I woke up. Like, I wished I was already dead. And my son came into the room, and he looked me straight in the eyes. He was, he was six years old. It was midday. They hadn't been fed. They were still in their pajamas. And he looked me straight in the eye and said, please stop drinking, Papa. I don't want you to die. It was like someone dropped an anvil on top of me. And I knew right there and then, boom, I was done. Like, there was no coming back from this. I say it now in hindsight. At the time, I didn't think it, but I mean, talk about the voice of God. Like, he whispered the first time, and I didn't listen. The second time, he spoke very distinctly, and he was like, you're done now, or it's over. My mom flew in that night, went through five days of cold turkey. If you've been through cold turkey, you know what I mean. If you haven't, don't recommend it. Not fun. Got sober. And one of the first things I did when I got sober was I said to myself, I need to be social. I need to, be, I need to have friends. I need to have people around me who are going to, you know, be there for me. Because uh, when you're an addict, you kind of hide away with your, your addiction. And you hurt, sometimes intentionally, sometimes unintentionally, the people that love you. And if you've been, if you know an addict or you are, have an addict in your family or have been touched by addiction, you know what I mean. It's, it's very tough. So I was on this running website that was called Daily Mile, and it was kind of like the Facebook of running. You go in and you log your mileage and you encourage other people. And there was a, a little tab at the bottom right-hand corner, and it said, meet runners in your area. And I thought, what have I got to lose? I was two months sober, click this button, and this guy comes up. Tim Meyer. Tim, you, if you were good churchgoers you would have seen last week or heard last week preaching about missions. 
he was the guy I met. And we just hit it off. It was really, really relational. He was fun. He liked the same music I liked. And I could just kind of talk to him. He was, he was cool, you know. And he was American. You know, you Americans are all, like, cool and, you know, romanticized, you know, Steve McQueen and whatever. So he, he, he just, he loved me. He walked with me. One day we're having lunch, and I go, so what do you do here? And he goes, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, like nearly spit my lunch out on top of him. I'm like, a pastor, you, you barely look old enough to shave, like in all fairness. <laughs> he was this young 29-year-old guy, and he told me about his family, and he told me about being a pastor at this church. And then a few weeks later, he says to me, why don't you come and hear me lead worship? And like the antenna went off my brain going, uh-oh, he's part of a cult, he's part of a cult. Leading worship sounded like, you know, I'd be marched up to the altar and sacrificed or something, but these guys didn't sacrifice anybody today, so, you know, leading worship is a good thing. And I went to the church, and there was this guy from Ohio, um, and he, he was going through some marriage issues, and he was going through some per parental issues, and he basically said that I'm imperfect, I have all these flaws, but Jesus loves me. And I thought... Woo, this Jesus guy sounds kind of cool, you know, because when I grew up in the Catholic Church, I'm not trying to bash the Catholic Church or anything, but it was like, you're wrong, don't do this, don't do this, confess to me, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And I was like, I was having none of that. But he just, he was, this message just struck a chord with me, so I kept going to church, kept being obedient, but when you see the people like raising up their arms in worship, I thought, yeah, Jesus freaks, they're weirdos, I'm never going to be one of them. I'll just get my coffee and go on a few runs, keeping the club, and that's it. And then I was riding my bike home from work one day, and a motorcyclist came, cut me off. I fly through the air. My foot goes into the spokes of the bike, the, the motorcycle, and I'm being dragged down the street going, God, help me! Foot broken. Take my shoe out of the, my, my foot out of the shoe, the guy picks the shoe out in spokes, throws it at me, and drives off. I was ticked. I want to use another word, but I won't. And I said, God, I'm obedient. I'm going to church. Why are you not giving me this chance? What are you trying to do to me here? Because this is not cool. You're supposed to be cool. All these people are going like this. They look like they know what they're talking about. So I couldn't run for seven months, and running had been like a saving grace thing for me. I went to church one day, and this guy comes in, and he starts preaching about healing. And it sounded good. You know, there's all these people, they've been blessed, and they have started, you know, orphanage. And I was like, that's a good fairy story, you know. I think he was maybe smoking something out the back. But he said, does anybody want to receive prayer for healing? So I stood up reluctantly. Some people prayed over me, and I had this sensation like my chest was going to burst, or like I was having a heart attack. I was like, oh, what's happening? You know, call a doctor, and boom, Holy Spirit lands on me. I didn't know it was even the Holy Spirit at the time, but just like slayed me where I was, and I opened my eyes, and I was just covered in tears, and all the people on the worship team were looking at me like a dog who just got hit by a car or something, and I felt changed. And I, Tim had been back in the States, and I, I text him, I goes, 
this guy came and he healed me. And he goes, no, Jesus healed you. And at that point, I went, okay, Jesus, you sound like you're the dude. Let's do this thing. So I, I, I go through the motions and I get kind of, not into ministry, but I start working with the church a little bit more and more. And Jesus has done some incredible things in my life. Like, it just I am not capable of doing those. And that's why, that's why I'm here. It's because of his saving grace. But you know, the, the theme of the week has been missions. And that, you know, that, it, it's a word that gets bandied around, I think, a lot. And I think it can lose some of its potency because we hear it all the time. And we go, what can I do? You know, I'm just this one person. I live. I don't have much finances, etc. But when we look at um, one more picture before we go. This is Tim in, uh, we show that, that was before he baptized me in July of 2014. He baptized me in a creek. He bashed my head off a rock. To this day, he says he didn't, but yeah, he did. Obviously, we have more facial hair now, and we're a lot more handsome than we were back then, but you know. So what does it look like? Um, if we could bring the first scripture up on the screen. When Jesus was talking to disciples, like his last words to them were these words. Now, if Jesus is going to be dropping some knowledge just before he goes, you know it's going to be gold. It's going to be grade A material. So he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. There's many things that strike me about that. It's the power and it's the Holy Spirit. But it grabs me at the end when he goes to the ends of the earth. Because if you're like me, you look at places like Timbuktu or Mongolia, and you think that they're the ends of the earth. I am telling you that places like Paris and like here are also the ends of the earth because there's spiritual darkness. I was reading the statistics for the highest alcohol consumption in cities in the United States. In the top, top 20, 13 cities are in Wisconsin. In the top 10, there's seven. Where's number one? Where's number one? Appleton. I think like Nina second, but um, Madison and some other places are high up there. And that just floored me. And that's demonic. That's a demonic stronghold over this state. If, if, just as a side thing, if you know anybody who's suffering or struggling with anything from pornography to cocaine to addiction to codependence, there is a really great Celebrate Recovery program out of this church, and I would urge you to get in touch with the church and check it out. I met with the leaders this week, just astounded by their humility and their willingness to serve. We, 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 need, to, we need to tackle this, and we need to be praying for it. So, back to missions. Um, how, do, how do we go about doing that? How do we go about doing that? When, when Paul writes to the Romans in, if you could bring it up on the screen, so Paul writes to the Romans, and it's an impassioned plea that he's writing. He's writing with emotion, and he says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
How then can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. Now, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news is not just a trite plaque that you stick up on your wall to show that you're a Christian family. You can do it and it's all cool, but your heart has to be in the right place. How, how, how can we reach people if nobody is sent? How would I have been reached if Tim Meyer was not sent abroad to reach me? I'd probably be in a ditch somewhere if it wasn't for that guy. But he obeyed the Holy Spirit. He went. There were people and churches like you who were behind him, who sent him, and allowed him to go over and disciple to me. And here's the thing. I don't actually see myself as a missionary because I've lived in France for 10 years. I call that home. So I see both sides of mission. As I was saying about the ends of the earth, Paris is most definitely the ends of the earth. I want to bring up some statistics and give you an idea of the spiritual climate. Somebody said to me during the week, so what's the climate like in Paris? I said, pretty good summers, you know, it gets kind of mild in the spring, and he goes, uh, no, the spiritual climate. I'm like, okay, sorry. So France as a population, it has 66 million people, almost 67, and it's area coverage-wise roughly the same size as the state of Texas. Um, next statistic, please. There are 30,000 registered mediums and spiritual healers, which is more occult workers than there are registered pastors. You think about that a second. 30,000 people are making a living and working as mediums, spiritists, astrologers, faith healers. The French are way into that stuff. Way into that stuff. France is like what we call, we call it Catholic atheism. Their Catholicism came, it didn't work. It didn't work. And what you have is you end up with a secularism being the religion. When my kid went to his first public school, he had to sign a statement pledging his allegiance to the state and that there would be no outward you know, visual of uh, wearing a cross. Muslims can't wear headscarves. Secularism is the religion. Next statistic, please. Half the population believe in faith healers. 33 million people believe in faith healers. Next, please. Quarter of the people, quarter of the population put their faith in astrology. These guys are like reading the back of a newspaper and they're stars and they're going to see all these people who can, you know, give them or predict the future that they want to have. Next, please. An estimated 10 million people pay around 40 billion for occult consultations, which is three times the amount paid to their family doctors. And let me just segue into that. A doctor's appointment in France costs the equivalent of $25, and you get 100% of that back from the state. People were telling me this week about the prices of medication and healthcare in this country. Oh my gosh, like, I just can't believe it. So it's not, it's not a financial thing that's, that's, that's stopping them from doing this. It's a, it's a deep-held belief. If you use the word uh, evangelique is the word for evangelical in France. If you say evangelique, you're part of an evangelical church, they put you in with Scientology. If you are part of the Masons, or if you're part of the Mormons, that's perfectly acceptable. But evangelicals are seen in the same light as Tom Cruise. 
you know, I personally think I'm better looking than Tom Cruise, but whatever. <laughs> the last statistic that is probably the most worrying and that you should be on your knees praying for every single day is the average French person eats 500 snails per year. If that don't drive you to the cross, my friends, nothing will. I've eaten some weird things in my time, but you know, when they get the, the machine shed franchise in France, I'll be first in the queue. We, we have Chipotle, so we're getting there. We're working on it. If you feel that God's calling you to do something and to step into that role, listen. You don't have to do anything immediately. You don't have to be sent overseas. I wasn't sent overseas. I'm working and I'm discipling the best I can where I'm at. Because we need both. We need both. We need the sent ones and we need the ones who work in our towns and in our communities. And there's opportunities everywhere. Sometimes you have to get outside the bubble and you've got to get outside the comfort zone and you've got to dive in because relationships are messy. But man, if you go to distance with somebody and you are pouring into them, it could mean the difference between a life with Jesus or an eternity surfing the lake of fire. This is serious stuff. Don't let, don't let, don't let your situation, don't let financial difficulties or worldly barriers get in the way. If he calls you and he blesses you, he's not going to unbless you. I have not been to ceremony, seminary. I always say ceremony. I've never been to ceremony. S seminary. I have not been to seminary. I have limited training. I finished high school. I don't have a degree. I have nothing. But I didn't let that get in the way because I knew God had, like he said on that branch, a different path for me and a different way. And it's only been by being obedient and listening to where the Holy Spirit is prompting me to go have I got to where I am. And if you're here and your take-home is... If you're here and you're going, what's the take-home? What do I do with this? What's my mission? The mission is Jesus. Unequivocally, undeniably, the mission is Jesus. He's the one who breaks the chains. He's the one who breaks the addictions. He's the one who breaks the strongholds. He's the one who orphans. He's the one who fathers the orphans. He is the one who redeems everything for us. He can heal the sick. He can break generational sin. Amen? Amen. Are you with me, people? Yes. He can save a wretch like me. He can do anything. Because like I said before, I thought it was, that was it. That was the limit. I was done. I was dead. He redeemed me. And I want to close with a story of him redeeming another thing in my life that I never saw coming. When I really put my faith in him and started walking in step with what he was doing in my life, I naturally started to think about my family. My father was 81 years old. He was diagnosed two years ago with Parkinson's disease, and I felt the clock ticking. I don't want to be without him. There's unfinished business between us. He was an alcoholic. He was aggressive from time to time. 
I was then an alcoholic. I rebelled. I hurt my family. My family hurt me. I wanted him to know the Lord, but it felt more cerebral. It felt more like the thing to do, not really coming from here. So we planned to go over and speak to him. First time we were going to go, something came up. We couldn't, we couldn't go back to Ireland. So it's not far. I mean, Ireland to France is like a one and a half hour flight. The second time we booked flights for a wedding, my cousin was getting married. And I was like, this is the time. September 20, 2016, this is going to be the time. A week before we leave or two weeks before we leave, we get a, an email from the, the, the company, the flight company going, your flight has been cancelled, so tough. There's no other options the day before or the day after. So the kibosh got put on that. And then in late January of this year, sitting at home, doing my thing, Holy Spirit says, go. Val's in the next room like, Val, we're going to Ireland. She goes, yeah. I said, yeah, the Holy Spirit said. She's like, okay. I should actually use that sometime if I want to get my own way, even if the Holy Spirit didn't say it. <laughs> I would never do that, sweetie. I love you too much. So I booked these flights. We've got an hour and... We've got, we've got 48 hours left. Not in this sermon. In the, uh... <laughs> we've got 48 hours in Ireland. We land. Sole purpose of this visit, see my father, bring him to the Lord, because the Spirit vibrations are working through me. We're walking out the door to get the, to get the lift to the airport. The ride to the airport, sorry. Yeah, if I've used words that you can't understand, it's because we are two nations divided by a, col a common language. Okay, that's fine. You call it a purse, we call it a wallet. You call it a, motor a highway or something, we call it a motorway. And your, your chips are not chips, they're crisps. Anyway. I break my toe... Leaving. I'm going around Ireland like this. I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm like, I'm burdened by the Holy Spirit, but not really. <laughs> we get to my dad's place. We, 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 we plan an attack. I'm like, Val, you take my mom to the store or for a coffee. I'm going to get in there. So I get in there, and big family, big Catholic family. People are coming. People are going. I'm like, for crying out loud, I just need some time with him. And I go, Holy Spirit, come. Like a force field goes down over the room. Like, I'm not kidding you. And they live in these cabins in the woods, so it's like something out of a Tim Burton movie. And it just flows. I start apologizing and asking for his forgiveness for being a uh, riotous son and for doing all those drugs and doing a lot of things I shouldn't have. He then, in turn, is reaching out to me, and he's apologizing, and we're both forgiving each other, and it's just, it's incredible, and I can feel it coming. And I walk him through the steps. I talk to him about what Jesus has done in my life and how he's redeemed me, because I thought there was like a line in the sand that I would step over, and Jesus would be like with me all the way through, and that would break the generational thing for my family. But Jesus goes back a generation to my dad, and then I ask him, of his own volition, does he want to accept the Lord Jesus Christ into his heart as his Savior? And he looks at me with clear eyes. It's like I'm looking into my dad's eyes when he was a young man. 
And he goes a thousand times yes. Praise God. Praise God. I mean, not by my own cleverness or by my own need to achieve or accomplish anything, but by being in step with the Holy Spirit. And I want to encourage you today that if you're following hard after the Lord and you're being obedient, keep going. Keep going because it just gets better and better and better. And sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's difficult, but I cannot imagine a world or facing anything without him. If you are seeking, if you're seeking, welcome. Keep seeking. He loves you and he wants to be in a relationship with you. He's not, he's not, he's not all about religion. He's about relationship. And if you look at the people who were at his table, they were prostitutes and they were tax collectors and he loved them and he, he's just amazing. I love what Brian said earlier, Pastor Brian, about the brokenness. You may feel very, very broken, but he, he, he wants a relationship with you. So just keep searching, keep seeking, and keep listening to where he wants you to go. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your redemption, for your grace, for how you want a relationship with us. I pray that your, your Holy Spirit would manifest its presence in the lives of these people. And we pray, we break off anything that is not of you. We drive out the enemy in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Then we ask you, Lord, to guide us, that we would have the wherewithal to, to follow and the discernment to know when you call us, that we too would preach your name and that we would be sent ones and that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess that you are Lord. And we pray this in the honor of your powerful and precious name, Jesus. Amen. Have a good Sunday. Go Packers!